Rolling Bones Outdoors presents Hunt the World. From Montana to Mexico, Texas to Tajikistan, Alaska to Asia, Colorado to Canada, we hunt the world, and you can too. Do you want to take your hunting skills to the next level? Ever thought about going on that hunting adventure of a lifetime? But didn't know where to start? This podcast will be for you. Our team at Rolling Bones Outdoors is here to help you create memories that will last a lifetime. Are you ready? Let's hunt the world. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of Hunt the World with Rolling Bones Outdoors. Welcome to the Bone Cave, everybody. Appreciate you being here. The Bone Cave does look different. We, I'm not sure look, I like the my elk there. Is that a good spot? Okay, so Brad, let me give you some perspective. I had to I had to put a lot of time into where we were going to move your elk here in in the main room at the Bone Cave. Okay, yeah. now now listen to me. Hashtag three ninety three. Brad Dana, who sits right across the table from me every week on these. Um, there was no place that I could put it better than it was already because it was in the middle of the ing room. Does that make sense? But it took so up a lot of be- it took up a lot of room. Are you kidding me? I, since it's got here, we've just had it right in the middle of the room. Somebody may have lost an eye on that back beam. <laughs> well, this one is. This. I have hit my head on it getting up out of the couch because its horns go clear back to the, it. Literally sat in the middle of the room. So no matter where, what door you walked into, because we have three uh, doors coming into this room. Well, it looks good. I'm not saying it does, but you can't see it from the back. But I you knew don't, Brad would. It looks bigger. It looks it. bigger from the back. <laughs> I knew Brad would. It's, it's like a, it's like a, that's like a Cardassian elk. Cardassian elk. Cardassians. <laughs> <laughs> from, the, from the hindsight, it's a little wider. <laughs> yeah, we call. Well, you know, what we could call that a hashtag three ninety three Kardashian. Yeah. So, because it's kind of got a wide load in the back end. So, anyway, um, well, I will tell you this, Brad. I'm glad you noticed when we were moving it around. I said, no matter where I put that, it's not going to be as good as what it was right in the middle of the room. Well, and when I did get in here, because you moved it without me, I was like, oh, how'd you get that? Because you didn't have any grown-up boys around here. Because Mary and Kelly did RC, it. They've been doing their no, curls. Our CTO, Scott Wallace, is in town this week. But you're right. He's, he's kind not, of a power lifter. Yeah, he's, no, he's not a grown-up boy. <laughs> so you're right. He, he's, he's kind of fragile. <laughs> he, he's, he's a good tennis player, he, though. He's probably, he can know. lift his computer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was a great high school athlete because he was that same size. He was a great – he, well, he still is a good athlete. I think he is, yeah. But anyway, I'm just teasing He's kind of like a gun that hasn't been cleaned for a while. It has a little bit of rust and the <laughs> rifling has some etching in it. I think he is a great athlete. But anyway. So we're getting ready for our advisor training this weekend. Yes. And we're going to have, so what, 30, 30, 35 people 30, in here. So we have, we have it set up as, uh, as a little uh, teaching facility. And it looks good in here, though. We've uh, tweaked it a little bit. And uh, If you're ever in spearfish, unless Brad's in here and doesn't want to deal with you, um, stop in, knock on the i got to be really busy before I turn oh this my come in and we'll Come in and we'll show you how to clean a gun. Exactly. We've got a few guns come to be cleaned. We'll show you around. You can see all the heads. We are on 305 Seton Circle in Spearfish, South Dakota. Seriously, we'd love next, to Next to you. Wally World? That's the only problem with the place is that we're close to Walmart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, hey, in case you're tuning in for the first time, 
okay, and you don't know it. My name is Brian Maiman. Uh, I'm with Rolling Bones Outdoors. We just talked about this last time. What's my title here? So uh, I guess uh, a handful of us found You're the main thing. bone roller. I had, yeah, I am the main bone roller. I had this idea 10 years ago, um, and Brian Martin's here, um, the man, the myth, the mountain man, the myth, the legend. Brad Dana, hashtag 393. In case you were wondering what that means, uh, he passed a bull at 10 o'clock in the morning that was 393 inches. And with while filming, you, have you, you've heard the film. Uh, shoot that bull. That bull's a big bull. Brad, that bull. Brad, you know. That thing's got giant beams. Brad, that's your bull. I don't think so. Brad, then get the out of my way so I can film it because you're an idiot. You heard the whole thing. Well, You've heard the dialogue. We need to turn yeah. the volume up on that. So then every then later that night, <laughs> Brad, that's going to be the biggest bull you might ever see in your life. Okay, I'm going to shoot it. Boom. Did he even ask me well, if I was ready? No, I did it's too. A, it's yeah, a, I did you're too. Right, that's you know, right. film. And, and you said, you said dry fire. I said, no, we're going live now. <laughs> Well, that <laughs> and like I've been ready since ten o'clock this morning. Well, now, uh, got to You got to Well, here's <laughs> the here's the problem. When you start, I was looking at preference points. <laughs> I was running down this. You wait twenty, twenty five, thirty uh, years to draw something. No it messes. Here. It messes with the, uh, the synaptic cranium. waves a little bit. Well, uh, wow! Did yeah. we digress? Oh fast. my god! <laughs> that's wow! A, that that went off the rails. Bleep like crazy. Um, I am so sorry, but yeah, we're, uh, um, you started that by the way, um, because, uh, you're, you're well, just uh, different, you know, I mean, you get accustomed. That's uh, a, th so. well, that's over a thousand pound elk versus an 800 pound elk. So right. anyway, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. We what are we talking about it. today? Yeah. Well, here's what we're talking about. I, I'm, Digression and regression. So I've got Brian, I've got Brad. I want to make sure I introduce everybody because there are new people. Bleep has taken week. notes to bleep, bleep out stuff. Brian Leslie, uh, we have him here. So it takes, can you imagine if he worked for a hustler? Uh, yeah. No, he wouldn't. He's a good Christian. He wouldn't even have lingerie in there. And my name is Brian <laughs> Maiman. <laughs> so, they yeah. have Wranglers and Carhartts. Yeah, hey. <laughs> oh, my God. Lord, I apologize. Lord, I apologize. I don't know what I did to be here today. But, uh, he wouldn't even have spandex. <laughs> Lululemon would be off. <laughs> you, you encouraged us, Dana. Come on, Dana. Oh, oh my God. I try not to. Oh. A dentist, an engineer, and me. Oh. Wow. How did it, and how did I, a butcher, how did I get so lucky? Exactly. That's, that, my mom had a wooden spoon just like that. Hear that? That was my mom. But you know what? My mom had one with a hole in it, and it would leave a welt, and it, it, would, it, would, get, it would get a little bit more speed. And she, you know, she used to beat the hell out of me growing up on a farm. And well, I, the way well, the, your attitude, you probably needed more Oh, beatings. my God. Okay. So here's what we are going to talk about today. Asia as a replacement for other countries that might be closed down that won't let you in. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because we have had a tremendous influx of interest in people that n had zero interest in Asia. And now they're like... And they're like, you know what? I'm, d I'm, I'm done. Because how many people right now are holding on? And this waiting? is Central Asia, technically. Not Asia. Actually, technically Central Asia. R right. Okay, Central Asia. Because Asia like, just has a bunch of jungles. So, so, but Russia, a good part of it is considered Asia. Central Asia. Yeah, yeah, yeah we call Central, it Central Asia. Central, yep. And, and I, I had a... The Asian continent, but... See, and, and here's the thing. I, I was listening to, and I shouldn't have been listening to the news. I try not to. But the other day, they're like, oh, these, all these people are, there's a lot, there's this big pe population mass in the United States that are like these Russia lovers. Well, and, I and, think, so I think to, to call it news now, I think you have to, I, you, you shouldn't call it news anymore. It's, 
this channel's propaganda. propaganda. The propaganda channel. Because it, it's really not Walter Cronkite anymore. It, it's kind of like it's kind of like one of the TV hosts telling you this is the best scope on the market. Right. Um, who wrote the check for the show? <laughs> Maybe and you, not. And, and you can trust your life on it because I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, here, here, here's a reality. And, um, and Mexico, too. And you know what? I want to say that because I want, I want to actually preface what I just said because some people might go, oh, that's not very nice. You know what? We, we do take marketing dollars um, uh, from companies to put in our um, uh, – to support our magazine to market their products. Not a question, okay? But here's what we don't do. We don't bastardize or um, uh, you know, – dismiss what we want to use. What we use in the field is what we use in the field is what we know is proven for us and is at the best of that. Now, are there other products out that are good? Yes. So I just want to qualify what we just said there because I don't, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and, and mislead anybody and, and, and have them think. But, but the reality is, is it's no different than countries with their uh, borders closed right now. We appreciate them. We love the outfitters. Not trying to say we're never going to book for them again. But there's alternatives to this that people need to be considering. And what, what you said is exactly right. Because we have an influx. Because right calling. now there's such a backlog. You know, I mean, it looks like we could be two years out of Stone Sheep. Now there's going to be some big Stone Sheep shot when Stone well, the, Sheep season finally well, opens. Well, the back problem up. is the residents are hitting the the the, the high number of Stone Sheep areas harder than they ever have. Well, that might and that might be detrimental for for a long long time because of that the influx that there but but those people you know people now are saying hey what what I, I think I could do Russia sounds pretty cool you know so here's what we get we get a lot of calls saying right now saying hey what about Russia what about Tajikistan what about Kyrgyzstan what about Ibex what about Marco Polo and what about snow sheep snow sheep brown bear brown bear Moose, even some of the moose, even some of the moose, and and they're asking these questions, well, not 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 hourly, but maybe not daily, but it's not very several often. times a week. Several times a week. Thank you. That's exactly right. Well, your mountain goat when I started outfitting was six thousand bucks. Now they're between ten and twenty, right? And the and biggest horn you can possibly get is about eleven inch. And we can get we can get right. some eighty five hundred dollar mountain goats on occasion in here. Yeah, but if you're looking for them, though, they're typically they're they're like uh, the guys that sell that have the really big goats in BC and Alaska are all between basically 13 and 16. You know what? And here's the flip side. My argument for for that is should, holy cow! How many you should do two, how many dollars of preference points and time and frustration do you put in for a mountain in goat? The lower 48. In the lower 48, if you want to whack up mountain goat, go hunt one where they're available buy a tag and go hunt one and i and i've drawn drawn two in the lower 48 i've drawn idaho and montana so but still i mean it's not a guarantee but it's, if we're looking at right now if some guy goes you know what i want to travel i, I want to canada's closed um i want to travel um i think i think what the big there's some misnomers with central asia it's too expensive it's not accessible and it's not very safe I think those three things are what most people are concerned with. It's not affordable, it's not very accessible, and it's not very safe. Can you speak to that right now? Well, you fly in the same you, you fly in the same Boeing and Airbus airplanes that you would go to Canada, right? So the airplanes are safe. The flight attendants are skinnier. Um, 
uh, I would say Alaska and Canada is more dangerous because you're more likely to fly in a little bush plane in bad weather um, than you are in a Jeep. I mean, you might, I mean, you're probably more likely to get in a car crash, but more likely to walk away from a car crash than a Super Cub crash. Um, typically, don't pl you don't, you're not floating down the rivers where people can drown. So I think from a safety standpoint, they're actually safer, drier climate. You don't have the trees, less likely to get hypothermic. Um, have you ever seen guerrilla warfare and been in a shakedown? No, I see it in Minneapolis before I see it over there. I was going to say, uh, Duchambe is a lot safer than Chicago, isn't it? Uh, yeah. You, you, 100%. Because I went to, and I don't want to interrupt, but I'm going to add something here real quick. When I, I've never felt safer on a hunt than I had and more well-received by um, the locals than I had when I went to Russia. You know what's crazy? Because if you watch the local propaganda channels, you would think we're supposed to hate Russia, and they and they like they us. They love us. They like well, us. Well, they, yeah. they, 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 they don't love us, but they love us more than they like the Africans and the Chinese and stuff like that. I mean, if you're going to say race... Uh, I, I would uh, tell you that, that I've never been more well-received. No, they like. Than, than, than the, well, they're hunters, too. If you When you're dealing with Russians, Russians have a big hunting culture like Canadians and Americans do, more so than most countries. Um, there's a lot of Russians that own guns. There's a lot of Russians that go hunting. And so anytime you have that, doesn't matter if they're a Christian, a Muslim, or a neutral, you got hunting in common, you're kind of a cool dude. And so they're pretty tolerant and very open-armed, and it's good business for them. I mean, what else are they going to do in Siberia, right? I mean, there's not a lot of stuff going on there. The hunting's amazing. The game density's high. You know, um, Kamchatka, the peninsula, is is much like uh, the Alaskan. It's, 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 a exactly. it's a hybrid in weather between Kodiak and probably the mainland because it's surrounded by water. But it doesn't have as, in my opinion, doesn't have as bad a wind and some of the terrible weather that Kodiak and the peninsula has. It's bigger and is wider across. I think it's probably a hundred and some miles across and about what's five, six hundred miles tall. Yep. The uh, the Kamchatka. I know where we were hunting was as four to five hundred miles from Petropavlovsky to the north, and it was still another hundred miles to the narrowest point or, or more. And so, yeah, amazing place. Lots of, you know, more species of sheep than well, I'd say technically more than. Um, Canada. Canada has four species well, of sheep. What I've seen is people are people are interested in doing a Russian sleep sh sheep slam that never even thought about going to Russia in the last six months. Well, you can get four to five sheep in Russia for the cost of two in North America. Yeah, and unless you're just doing dolls, I mean, and and on average, doll sheep are more expensive than your snow sheep. Well, and it's crazy now. Um, even Alaska. See what's happened is closing Canada has driven prices up, I think, dramatically in Alaska. Yeah, also. Doll sheep have jumped probably 5000 on average the last year and a half in Alaska. Yeah. And the reason that can Canadian hunts are so expensive... 20% at least. Yeah. But, well, Canadian hunts is because these areas that used to cost... When I first got in outfitting, I was looking at areas in 98, 99. You could buy the best doll sheep area or one of the best stone sheep areas without deeded land for under a million Canadian. Only the ones that had deeded land were more than a million. Now that same area is three to six million. Yeah, and, what, and if what you got deeded land, three it's four years ago that one sold for seven five or some crazy number. Yeah, well, a couple of the a lot of areas have sold between four and six in the Northwest Territories, and that's doll sheep. And those areas were less than a million when I started. So in twenty years they went up. So what happens is in order for the outfitters to justify the cost of the area, they have to you know they've doubled and tripled their prices in the last twenty years. Yeah. So Wait, where the Russian guys they don't have to pay it by an area. They don't have to fork out half a million or a million to get a hunting territory. They get some permits. Everything's behind. So in Asia, now some of the areas are getting more expensive, but there's no areas that are like three, four million dollars. You think about how many stone sheep do you have to kill 
to pay for a $4 million area. Right, and, and I get that. So this is why this podcast is so enlightening, I guess, and I love hearing this. Having hunted sheep in Russia, okay, the adventure to me was off the charts. And you get to use a helicopter, which is great. Yep. You, it, you, you, don't you, you can not ride rest- in a tank. The travel, well, you're was, not restricted <laughs> the travel to, was unbelievable. You're not re- – pretty good food. The food was I mean, the equipment good. is adequate, but you can bring your own tent. You can bring your own gun. You can bring your own optics. Yep, so, it, it was, which you should do anyway. When you hunt yeah. Asia, I tell the hunters, treat it like a do-it-yourself hunt. Bring an extra pair of binoculars for your guide. Bring your own spotting scope and tripod. Bring your own tent. And it's, yeah. I mean, just travel. Like if I was going to Alaska on a DIY caribou hunt, I'd bring the same stuff to Russia, except I'd bring another pair of binoculars. Well, and the other thing is... is, is DIY caribou? Oh, that sounds fun. We should do that. We should do that. <laughs> we, uh, um, one, uh, from my perspective, going into Russia and hunting there, um, having the concierge service, which is what we, we, we can set everybody up with, having a concierge service made it seamless. Spoke great Russian, picked you up, met you. It was, there was never any worry. Does that make sense? I didn't feel like I was stranded in a foreign country, couldn't speak the language. It yeah. wasn't like that at all. There's only two things I don't like about going to Russia. One is you got to fly through JFK. Yep. And you got to deal with the, the craziness of the gun stuff there. And the other one is you got to get a visa before you go to Russia that has about a 10 page form to fill out that's going to take you a couple hours. And then you got to work. I, I, I we work with a Russian visa company, usually based in New York or Washington, D.C. And then you ship them your. You, you can. It's a weird feeling when you're shipping out your passport to Russia. You don't um, ship it to the, Russia. You just ship no, it to the no, US. No, I understand. Oh, you mean to the embassy. To the embassy. You ship it to a Russian embassy. But but I will tell you this. The service we used did all, did, did everything was do this, do this, do this. They had it highlighted. Lindley put my uh, paperwork together, sent it off. I got the visa back, no problem. And my gun work was done by Vladimir. Everything was set. When I, when I got Putin? to JFK, yep, when I got to JFK, <laughs> when I got to JFK, I opened up my file folder, handed them, boom. Every, and and Russia is more difficult than Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan. Those are easier countries. Yep. Russia is actually technically well, heck, more it was difficult. easier to get your visa than it was to get her uh, passport last time. Without question. Russian visa is not difficult. It just takes a little time. You don't want to do like what I did and try and do it in a two-week time. You not got expensive. a little stressed that last time, I noticed, my friend. Yeah, I was a little well, harder because yeah. I was going to fly from Canada, and then it wasn't going to work for me to come from Canada. So I had to change it and do a U.S. one at the last minute. Well, here's the reality. I don't know how it was not hard to get there, but someday I want to get to Wooloon, Gaba, Australia. Good day, mate. Well, problem is right now, Australia <laughs> and New Zealand are two of the most restrictive countries in the world with COVID. No, I know, but we have somebody listening right now from Wooloon, Gaba. Six people are che- – so they, they, obviously they're cool. Super cool people. They probably hunt feral camels. And they, they, they hunt, which is super cool. And if you're from a place called Wooloon Gaba. Wooloon Gaba. Did I say that right? You say it. Right? I don't know. You just said a mate or whatever. Good mate. Wooloon Gaba. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. So we got an Australian guy here. I watch, you know that what? Sounds like I watch Crocodile Dundee. An Australian Dundee. now, are right? you? Oh, yeah. I, that sounds like somebody from Papua New Guinea named that place. So... In Queensland, a suburb of... Oh, it's in Bris- Queensland. With, I know uh, Queensland. Queensland, a suburb of Brisbane. Brisbane? Brisbane. Brisbane. Yeah, you, enjo- you enjoyed... Brisbane. Uh, Brisbane. Hunting in Australia. Oh, Australia was great fun. super fun, wasn't it? Yeah. 
but they're restricted. But anyway, my point is, let's go back to Asia because I, I, we have some great people listening in there, and we wanted to give them a shout out. Um, but uh, uh, ibex. Now let's move from Russia. Let's talk about ibex because Russia has ibex. We're going, we're going to. Oh, really? Yep, they have the a, a, a type of the Altai ibex. It's like the Siberian ibex, and they are they um, they're on the eastern eastern side, closer to Kazakhstan and um, and Mongolia. Are they cool looking with the? They're cool. Really? Oh yeah. And then you got the tour, which are really, in my opinion, a type of ibex. You got the western tour, the mid Caucasian tour, and the eastern tour, and they're along the Caucasus Mountains east of Sochi, and uh, between they're sort of basically between Baku, Azerbaijan, and Sochi in that country in there. And you know what? If you're listening, you can go back to episode 25, episode, episode 25, Ultimate Guide to Hunting Ibex. Brian does a whole thing on this, and it was a really good podcast. We had great reviews on that. Um, but Brian's uh, more interested um, right now, Brian Mayman, in Ibex yeah, because me. he lost his sense of smell, so he can't smell them when they're mounted in his... Yeah, I can, I, yeah I'm, I'm good now, so I can have an Ibex in my house, but here's the reality of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I'm going I mean, ibex hunting in February, so I want to know. Um, I want to know, like they're they're affordable. Yeah. They're a high mountain affordable ibex, are they not? Uh, lots. Your the harder the ibex hunting, the the cheaper they are. To be honest with you, the easier the ibex, like Turkish ibex, and your sind ibex are more expensive. And same with your big Spanish ibex. But your hard ones, your Himalayan ibex, your mid Asian ibex. Your Mongolian ibex and some some are easy, some are hard. Your Siberian ibex and the ones and that are hard to get to geographically are more or less money. Yeah. Well, and, and you know what's funny? Just like a backpack stone sheep hunt. I mean, a backpack stone sheep hunt's a little bit less than a, a little bit less than a horseback hunt typically. Which is you go to a backpack doll sheep hunt. It's a lot less than a horseback or helicopter doll sheep hunt. So same thing. You know, you got a hard hard ass ibex hunt in Kyrgyzstan. They're not going to bring twenty grand like a gold medal ibex hunt in in Spain. You could do some of these ibex hunts for twice the cost of just getting a tag in uh, the Florida Mountains down in New Mexico. That's pretty crazy. Well, just that's, that's what I'm saying. I'm looking at some of these ibex hunts. Just the going, tag. Then if you're okay. going to hire an outfitter so, or you don't, you. I mean, yeah, I want to travel. Yeah, I want and they go have they, the adventure. They, I mean, and they come with a guide. Yep. You, and you're going to kill one. There's a lot of ibex. Yeah, and you're going to see a lot of animals. Yeah. And so I'm sitting here going, dude, for a mule deer hunt, I can go kill an ibex. Right. And that, that's crazy. For a mule deer hunt, I can go. And that's what people don't understand. I, I can travel all the way over there. I can be safe. It's accessible. It's affordable. And I can come back and have something on my wall that uh, is the same price as a mule deer in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. And you're right. They do smell. So, so it's funny you say that because just so everybody knows, I was sitting at the SCI show a couple of years ago. They're very right? ruddy. And I... I before COVID, uh, and I, before I got COVID, I had a smeller that, like, I could literally smell the wood still from this wooden spoon. That a pregnant, a pregnant pizza. gal nose. You know, Brad, you say I had a pregnant gal nose. I'd, I'd got a mule deer that was running and puked three times from the smell. Just appalling. Well, now I don't have that same smell. It was gross watching you puke. But oh, I, I was mean, in, I was at the SCI bank, or, um, show, and I'm in Brian's booth. And I'm like, and he's got these Asian outfitters in there. And I'm like, and guides. And I'm like, and so Brian and I are sitting there and I go, dude, I said, one of your guides seriously needs some deodorant. And, and I said, I'm no, like, these dudes are clean. And he goes, no, 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 these, no, no, these guys are super clean. He said, sophisticated, well-educated, well-civilized. And they shower dudes. daily. And, and I'm like, I go, I go, something freaking reeks in here. He, and he looks at me and he goes, 
It's those Ibex. They smell like t- really bad. It's terrible. And I went, I went, oh, my gosh, I just about yacked right in the middle of the SCI main floor. Well, no. So, Yaks. There you go. So, Speaking of so Ibex, anyway, so, so, so you can go kill an Ibex. What's a good Ibex? What's the, so, so you can go kill an Ibex for the cost of a mule deer in a lot of cases. And what's a good Ibex? What would, so I want to go, and I have a mule deer budget. What do I want to go kill? What do I want to go hunt? Uh, it's where a mid-Asian Ibex, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan. Okay. Mid-Asian Ibex. Yep. And, 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 and where between, do I? And in the Kazakhstan, also mid-Asian. So depending on the country, depending on the group size, all those hunts are between 8 and about 11.5. Okay, so myself. No, no extra, no, no extra okay, perfect. charge for a big one. So me and two buddies, we say we're going to go do it. Okay? Mm-hmm. So I know I know this. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you because we have a total turnkey 100% we take care of everything uh get you uh we help you figure out your airplane tickets is that you're going to help me figure out my airplane tickets uh, yeah right? everything it's it's really simple i mean there's a pretty easy formula most everything goes through turkey Istanbul. Yep. And you depart one of five cities in the U.S. or one okay, of two so in Okay, so once I land in Turkey, I, I just like it. You just I, check your luggage. All the, Everything's checked through to the, the, one of the stand countries. Okay, and then when I when I land, I know There's always going to be somebody when meet I, you. Okay. And usually we have a VIP sign that says, hey, Brian Maiman, and you get in a little van, and they take you over to the, the, the little... The Hyatt. Well, no, they take you to the VIP room at the edge, usually on the side of the airport. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've been in one in, and in Russia. And then right there, they get your gun cleared. And depending, you either go right to the honey or you go spend a day in the hotel. Right, depending and, how you, and do. you have a cup of coffee, you're drinking a soda, waiting for them to clear you, and then they take you right to the hotel, check you in. Or a lot of times we just go right straight to the honey area. Like this year, our, you know, our, our... But I'm hungry. What do we do? Well, we stop and get some food along the way. So there's restaurants? Some. Not, not a lot that time in the morning. It's usually early morning flights when we land. Right, but, but, but so I'm going to be taken care of. So it's turnkey from... The, basically, the time I leave the U.S. to get and picked up, I got a VIP service, okay? And so um, I go right out to the hunting. Am I going to see terrorism and police like in Chicago and Minneapolis? And uh, I haven't seen um, it yet. You haven't seen it? How many times do you think you've been over there? Mm, more times than I've been in Minneapolis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. Do- dozens. So dozens. You've been there dozens and dozens of times. Yeah. And um, no terrorism, no police. And so no, I, I mean, there well, might be po- in places, police, but, but the right. police, the, the, the annoying thing is sometimes the police flag you down just to see it, make sure you got your registration, but we've never been detained or it's anything. like Mexico. Not, well, not even like Mexico. I mean, cripes all Friday, dudes pull out in front of, in a truck and everybody jumps out and, you know, everybody wears face masks down there. Good guys, bad guys, doesn't matter, guys. Right. So, right. But, but well, but, and it's not a face mask because of COVID. It's because they don't want to get their skin darker. Right. They don't want to be in the sun. So, so the reality is, is were, the, were you worried about the police a little bit in Mexico? Because uh, you heard bad things, right? Well, I was, appre- I, I was a little, you know, I'm, I'm like, ooh, what's this going to be? Or, you know, I mean, I, if you're not used to it, you're right. not used to a Toyota, no, that's whatever what those you. little, uh, whatever the, the Tundra is down there. That the comes, Hilux, probably. Yeah, yeah, the Hilux, the, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. That, that cruises by with the M50 machine gun on the back, and some dudes... You know, that's well, by the way, that's what happens when you don't have guns and they do intimidation. Right. Anyway, it's funny when you walk up to somebody that has because some of these places, they have AKs and Kalashnikovs. You just I just pretend like they didn't have a gun. It's like blind to me because I know they're not going to use it. Well, on so, you. so we went to get our rental car and, and, and right across there's a I don't know, a, a, a factory or something. And there's two there's two guys out there with machine guns. And Brad's like, this is a little different than the U.S. And, and it is. But there, I've never, I've been there dozens of times, never had anything to worry about. Now, that's Mexico. I haven't been to the stands. So, so stands are safer than Mexico. 
Yeah, yeah. You don't have drug cartels. You don't have much ki- kidnapping. And ki- you know, and most of the people you go with are fairly well connected in the government, and they and, and it would be very bad for whoever screwed with them, because um, because really we're bringing a lot of money over. We're not like some bunch of tourist mountain bikers on DIY, you know, like daisy sniffing trip. There's not connect to anybody. They're not gonna. Th- we're the money bags coming down there. We're their bank. I don't mean money bags. We're the bank. Does yeah, that make it's sense? A, it's a. They trust me. They do not want. They don't want us. Not. I said, being when's there. the last time you heard of a hunter getting hijacked, gang raped, beaten up, ran over by a truck in in these countries? And pa- even Pakistan, this is a dangerous country. It hasn't happened. Not a hunter. Yeah, there might be some dumbass tourist that wanders around smoking weed. And you know what? That's what I know? tell people. It's the but it's not a hunter. Go to Mexico and are in the wrong place, the wrong time, dealing with cartel and Mexico is more dangerous though than over there. And the cartels against the well, cartel. Y- and y- the you get in the wrong place at the wrong time. You can go down for New Year's Eve to see your kid and go to the bar and stand till it you know closes the and you're drunk. And you get mugged. Well, you know what? Steal the your phone and all your money and. In you Texas, know, you Texas, know, you know right. the biggest difference between what? the United States and Central. I mean, between uh, Canada and Mexico and Central Asia, they don't have the United States as their a border country. So you don't have all these idiots that uh, want to import all the drugs. So I mean, I'm sure there's opium and stuff that goes through these countries, but it's not. They don't have the drug use that we do in the U.S. And so I mean, we want to have That's a cartel. An interesting perspective. We, we want to have the cartel if we didn't have such a high demand for coke and everything else. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I, so I would never felt. Uh, in I mean, that's a, but I, I've never seen it there. Yeah, Russia was not an issue. I'm glad to hear the stands aren't. Um, I'm excited about the. Uh, um, I, I'm super excited uh, to help people with the ibex. I'm excited to go personally, um, and uh, and see it all. Want me to tell you the? Oh, yeah, it's, it's awesome. But you want to tell you the other reason you don't have as many problems? You don't have as much ethnic diversity and multiculturalism in these cities. And when you have less multiculturalism, you have more less in, internal fighting. And um, if everybody's Muslim or everybody's Christian or everybody's you know black or everybody's Russian, they have less problems. When you have a lot of multiculturalism, you tend to have more fighting and, 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 and problems. So if you have an area, a country that has lots of different sects of even Muslim, you're going to have more problems than if everybody's Sunni or everybody's Shia. So same thing here. If you get multiculturalism it creates good different lots of different food variety but does not create social harmony not initially right well here's the reality people will be safe they got accessibility is fairly it's simple to get in and out of there uh-huh. but but here's the thing i found out about travel most people get they they just get anxious when they're traveling they just need to sit back pay attention but not get anxious do you, you know the other really good thing about hunting central asia and russia what's that they don't have resident hunters for mm-hmm. to speak of, because the resident hunters have to pay a lot of money if they want to go hunt an ibex, oh, that's right. and they have to pay the quota. The wor- the biggest, the best thing about the United States and Canada, is that the average guy can go hunting. The worst thing about the United States and the Canada is that the average guy can go hunting. So your game management is a disaster in most of your public land in the United States, and thus they have very strict limited entry. Because you get a guy in British Columbia, he goes and shoots a big stone ram, then he takes three of his buddies, and then another guy goes and takes three of his buddies. So an area that will have 10 stone sheep, non-resident, I mean resident hunters one year, might have 25 the next. How do you manage that, right? Because they don't have LEH, limited entry hunting, in a lot of these areas. Same with most of Alaska. You get a guy, a whole bunch of guys go and shoot a bunch of rams in Alaska range one year, and that would be that outfitter's area that you go in, and they have six hard-ass hunters opening day. You're in a foot race with guys that live there have their own super cubs. In Central Asia and Russia, that won't happen. You're not going to be in a foot race with a bunch of locals. You're not going to have to be, you know, sitting there, sitting there on a big bull 
and have to see who shoots across the canyon at first light, right? And if you're if you're a minute slow, the guy over here kills your 350 bull. He's been watching and has trail camera. 393. If you're in a limited draw, it's way it's wilder. Just let it go by right away. Sounds like uh, region G in Wyoming when yeah. the. Well, the kid. thing is, in the U.S., you're hunting other hunters a lot of the times. You're hunting other outfitters, competing with other outfitters over there. The outfitter has this area here. This guy has the outfitter here. I've never had resident hunters that we had to deal with. Cost of Marco Polo. Actually, hey, uh, episode 52, you talk about traveling with a rifle. We did. 46, we talked about, um, uh, I'm sorry, 43, etiquette for guided hunts. These are all ones that you might want to go back to and listen to her if you haven't listened to them, because um, they can they, they will tie all this together. But I wanted to ask you uh, uh, the last question I have, okay? Because uh -huh. we're talking about affordability, accessibility, and security or safety. Um, I've got a few sheep. And how about meat package? I, I I've got a few sheep under my belt, right? From the waist down? No, um, for my slam. And fiscally, if I'm considering my last sheep versus that, just Brad, don't even just drive over it. <laughs> just drive, I didn't say just drive by it. Okay. So, so, or a Marco Polo. I'm sitting here going, dude, I could probably go kill a giant Marco Polo for less than I'm going to get my final sheep for my North American slam. Way cheaper. And you have a higher success rate. You know what the success Bigger rate is on a bighorn? To shoot this is a barely legal ram, not very good. It's not. 40, 50, 60%. Unless I'm going to buy a governor's tag or well, then something like Well, then that. you can go shoot two or three Marco Polos for that or a high Alta Aragali. Exactly. Or you'd rather shoot a high Alta Aragali for 150 or a, a governor tag for 150 Well, that's where I'm at. I, the I'm, only advantage I'm, with a governor tag is you can write a lot of it off because it's considered going to a nonprofit. Because so there's a lot, I think there's a lot of guys out there that might not be super rich, but they've done well. And they're listening in this podcast like I'm listening to it going, hmm, do I how important is the North American for when I could go kill, like you said, if I'm going to go get a, I could, we could go kill an IR golly for the same price that I could get a governor's tag in, in Wyoming. Even the, well, the Wyoming governor tag used to be cheap. It used to be seventy five to ninety thousand. Yeah, cheap. And then it and then it went up to ninety. Cheap. Now it was one twenty five to one forty five. The Rams aren't as big as they used to be uh, on average. That's what I'm saying. So I can so go now, kill a giant. Um, if you want to, and if you want to kill a Boone and Crockett 180 guaranteed, or at least it's going to be pushing that 170 to 240 thousand yeah. now in, in in the U.S. Yeah, I'm, I'm. So so explain to us Marco Polo hunting in uh, um, uh, the the affordability, the accessibility, and the safety of that. Um, well, so it's safer than ibex hunting because you're not in the rocks as much. You're, you're, so a Marco Polo is a form of an Argali. So any of the curly horn rams in Central Asia are Argalis. And it's called a Humi Argali, which is the one in Kyrgyzstan. you got the Karolini or the Tian Shan Argali, which is in eastern Kyrgyzstan. And you got the Marco Polo Argali, which is in, in Tajikistan. And those are your Marco Polo. But the true Marco Polo are in Tajikistan, northern Afghanistan, and parts of China. And then the extreme western side of Kyrgyzstan, they're darker. They're, if you see an orange body, that's a Kyrgyzstan ram. If he's a dark uh, gray-brown body, he's a Tajikistan ram. And, I mean, the most expensive Tajikistan rams, there's guys and outfitters that guarantee basically big 60-inch rams, and they're expensive. They start at 80, 90, but most, most the outfitters, like our partners, we charge a flat rate of 50, and you shoot what you shoot. The smallest we shot last year was 56. 
the biggest we shot was 60, and we had a couple guys see saw bigger. So everybody shot a good ram, and um, you know for less money than a bighorn or a stone sheep. And Isn't Kyrgyzstan. So when you talk affordable, I know that sounds like a big number, but if a well, guy started putting two three grand a, a, a year away, you know, and 10, 15 years, boom, let's go. And they might not be that price by then, but, you know. Well, sheep hunting is a lot like a lot of other things in life. If you want to have a big house, you want to have a nice car, you know, you have to you have to choose your career when you're in high school and college a little bit better. And not just, you just can't just be on normal wages and hunt sheep, really. But you can't be on normal ha- wages and have a custom home or a nice sports car. So it's kind of like that. It's not crazy expensive like owning a yacht or private jets, but it's definitely more expensive than mule deer. But I know guys that spend more money on mule deer every year. Yeah, than they do on sheep hunting. There's guys that do four or five mule deer hunts a year, buying land under tags in Utah, and you know going if, to Mexico. If you, get, and if you get bit by the high, big well, you're big doing mule deer twenty bug, twenty to thirty. Expensive. You're doing twenty to thirty thousand dollar mule deer hunts, yeah, and sometimes right. even more. So, I mean, these well, guys are crazy. We're seeing people that are switching from mule deer addiction to sheep to sheep. Well, let me tell you another nice thing about sheep hunting in Central Asia. When I hunt in Russia, when I hunt in Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, anywhere. You're never going to have somebody that says, okay, for Alaska, you got to pack out the horns and the skin after the meat or you pack it all out together, right? So on a sheep, it's not a big deal because if you have a packer and a hunter and a guide, you can take it all in one trip. Now you have a normal hunter that's like kind of like older and can't get around very well. Now the guide's going to be packing a 130-40-pound pack because he's got to pack out the ribs. He's got to pack out the neck meat. He's got to pack out all that. Only The only place that they have that much lack of common sense is in, 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 in North America. No other place in the world would they make you pack out the ribs and neck meat with the horns and the cape or b- before you pack out the horns and the cape because the guy, I mean, it, I understand why they do it because, again, resident hunting pressure. They do it to keep people honest. But what it does is it's totally impractical. There's nobody's going to spend $25,000 on a hunt and pack out the neck and rib meat before they pack out the horns and the cape, Right. I mean, if a wolverine chews a few holes in your ribs, not a big deal. He chews a hole in your skin. Then you got to spend two grand to get a new skin. And then what are they going to do if a bear drags off your horns? You can't. So it's not a big problem with the sheep, but on your caribou, your moose, your, you know, some of these other things, it is. A, it can be a problem. That's interesting. It's common sense. I mean, to me, common sense, right? right. And, that's and that's why, not common sense. That's why I'm a part of a new political party called the Common Sense Party. There is not so, one yet. Y- yes, it's uh, it's coming to a theater new year. So anyway, hey, listen. Um, what about injuries in, in first aid? So I'm over there. How many times have you, in, in your dozens and dozens and dozens of times, how many times have you had somebody get hurt? And then what's first aid? Because I think a lot of people will think Well, most that, people you know are going to get a global a rescue. Question. Most people are going to get either like a global rescue membership or a ripcord or red point, one of those two. And they provide evacuation insurance. If you have a, a, a terrorist event or an earthquake or something in those countries, and they provide medical if you break your ankle or you know you have a heart attack, and they provide medical, um, what do you call it, medical care from the time until you get to your doctor in your country, and they also can provide trip insurance in case the trip gets canceled. You you know you're on a hunt and two days into it, you know your wife has a you know 
gets diagnosed with cancer or something, you got to fly home, whatever it is. You know, your your, your daughter has a, a kid prematurely and you want to come home. That kind of stuff is your trip insurance, the kind of you know, like act of God type things, which is usually about 10% of your hunt cost. And then your normal trip insurances are between 300 and, say, $1,000, depending on how big and how long a trip you go on throughout the year. And then, you know, you know, so, but medical service is not that expensive in these countries. So if you had a couple grand, you know, with you, which you always should have extra, you're going to be able to get pretty basic medical care, reset your bones or whatever. We've never had anybody have to spend much time in the hospital. I think we had one guy that separated his shoulder and he was sore, and, you know, and he got home. Another guy that got some food poisoning, he figured traveling. Um, and then, you know, but no, I've never had anybody hospitalized. Right, so that you're I've not never had unrealistic risks. That's the thing. Alaska is more dangerous, in yeah, my opinion. I, Russia. I mean, we didn't take any. I mean, we spent a night on the mountain. We killed a sheep. Well, late, you can do that anywhere. That, that you're doing that anywhere. Exactly. You didn't bear grills off the mountain, jump and slide down the bear grill glacier. So full of shit. Um, so you don't. Anyway. You don't have the shintangle black timber forest in Central Asia. You do like in British Columbia and Alaska. Some of the bushwhacking I've done, coastal range goat hunting and stone sheep hunting is just hell. I've never had that kind of, and if you do have it in Nepal, for example, you're going through the jungle, somebody's cut the trail out because they uh, they take their sheep and goats in there in the summer. So, I mean, it's all been chopped out with machetes, and there's always guys packing your stuff. I mean, labor's cheap over there. Here, you got to pay a packer 150 or $200 a day. Over there, you get five guys for that. You get a bird board for 25 bucks to get three of them, so you never miss a, um, a, a, a dove. You just get better, you get better service when it comes to... I've noticed that. You can also get rough service, so you can't... You can't go to, say, parts of... It, it, I mean, the snow sheep hunts, in my opinion, and the tour hunts are your rough hunts. Those you don't send the high-maintenance hunters on, in general, on average They're a little hunt. Western. Yeah, like your turkey ibex, your Spanish ibex, your, some of your Marco Polo, your your Argali hunting in Tajik, I mean, Mongolia, and stuff is much easier. But some of the stuff can get a little Western. I mean, it's no different than an outfitter in Canada. Some guys drink, some guys don't drink. Some guys have cowboy or, or cowboys. Some guys use side-by-side. Some guys use Argos. Some guys use boats. And Central Asia is similar. Not every outfitter is going to be the same. So you can't stereotype, well, I went here and had a bad hunt. Like, not every outfitter over there is going to feed you, like, like soup and stew every meal. I mean, some guys are going to have nice meals. Some guys are going to eat crackers. It's just the way it is. Some guys are going to have proper stirrups in their saddles. Other guys are going to have like stirrups for like midgets, you know? So, I mean, that's just the way things are over there. But if you go prepared and bring the stuff you need, it's Small easy. Small people. Midgets. Bailey made the cut. She's she's a taller than she made the 5'2". Well, they like to ride with her knees bent, right? I mean, they're used to squatting all the time. They're used to having their knees bent. Most Americans like their legs straight, right? Well, I, I mean, a teeny bend in it, but I like to be able to stand up in my stirrups. Yeah. Yeah, about that much. I mean, some of these guys ride like they're on an English saddle. No. That, that's interesting. That, that's super, you know what, and that's, that's the thing. So, so, hey, all of you that have been calling in to the office here and sending emails on this, we sincerely appreciate the feedback, right? Well, we've because even that, ha- you know we talked a lot about sheep, but there's big moose, big, big moose, brown bear, big brown bear. There's hogs, ro- there's roe deer, there's hogs, roe there's deer, caribou, caribou. Yeah, um, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, that, uh, um, uh, elk. Yep, marl stag, which is in, and then you got red stag in parts of the countries over there. Then you got Eastern Europe, which a lot is of great opportunity, animals. tons of opportunity. Wolf. You know, nice thing, you don't have to wait 10 years to draw a tag. Wolf? Oh, yeah. I've never, the only the only place in the world that I've ever been to that they don't want you shooting wolves is a couple places in Europe. Probably like Minnesota or one of these places. You can't, you know, used to be you had, a, you know, 
I, I've never been a place in Canada or Alaska or Russia where they criticize if you shoot a wolf. What about snow leopards? Have you ever seen any? Yep, seen them. Definitely don't want to be shooting them. But there's more than they say there are. That's what I've heard. I've, I've heard. There's yeah, they're just hard to see. There's. I'd say the snow leopard population is fairly stable. I would say you probably good trappers and with dogs could probably you know probably you know get rid of the population fairly quickly. But without dogs and without trapping, you're not gonna you're not gonna like see them out very often. And shoot and they're them. Half ways invisible. And they're 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 they're, they're much calm. They're not like an African leopard. You know, African leopards really mean and, and aggressive. If you corner them, I've never heard of snow leopards really being aggressive to people. I mean, they're very aggressive to ibex, but I've never heard them being very aggressive to people. I've I've heard that the the population stable, and I've I've, I've most places it is. I always see snow leopard tracks when I'm out hunting. You do? Yeah, probably eighty percent of the time. Isn't that crazy? I've seen. I'd say most How of the hunting cool area. Most of the hunting areas I have. Yep, most of the hunting areas we're in probably have three between three and ten snow leopards, depending on per area. Now, if you have a thousand animals in the area, there's going to be quite a few snow leopards. If you have an area that has a couple hundred animals, there's going to be one or two. The wolves. The wolves hit the animals harder than the snow leopards. Pretty cool. I like. I'm an equal opportunist wolf killer. Yeah, I mean, just like mount, just equal like here. I would say mountain lions in general. Don't kill it because they don't target the babies. Any any anything that targets babies, whether it's bears, wolves, coyotes, is going to make a bigger dent on your population than things that target adult animals. So because a ba- you know baby moose doesn't feed, I mean doesn't give you much. If a if a bear caught killed an old moose that weighs eight hundred pounds or twelve hundred pounds, that's a lot more meat than a baby that just was born yesterday. So typically your snow leopards and your mountain lions aren't killing babies. So that's another thing you look at because a predator, uh, a, a coyote or a wolf or a bear will kill dozens of babies, you know, in the in the spring. Yeah, they're they're, they're opportunists. So that's if you really want to keep your population up, you got to th- those predators, your dog and bear predators, yeah. are the ones you have to kill. Right. I mean, the snow leopards are going to eat, but they're not the population is not going to blow up typically. Right. That makes sense. Well, that, that I just I, that was it was a question I had because I was like it would be cool to see a snow leopard. So anyway, I, I do appreciate everybody uh, the, the questions. I guess that's what I was saying. It's it's uh, it's pretty awesome um, to have you guys giving us feedback on what you're looking for. We have a lot of you calling in. Give us a shout. Uh, we'll help you book that ibex hunt. We'll help you book that Marco Polo hunt. We'll help you look at uh, um, uh, the stands or Mid Asia as an alternative to what you're doing hey if you like this uh tell people about it let them know that uh, we got a podcast that's helping you you can find us on anywhere you find your podcast spotify uh google play apple um just go to all of them and uh go ahead and download it give us a review let us know what you think give us an honest review helps other people find us and uh we will uh be sure to um, address any other questions you have and if you want to hear something go ahead send yeah. it to us so rollingbones.com check out our membership we'll get you started on hunting somewhere something whether our application services or our adventure catalog we sure would love to point you in the right direction and get you started on that hunt or adventure of a lifetime but until next week we appreciate you joining us boys what do you think i, I want to know 11 podcasts from now what it's going to be on that's going to ha- that's going to be a memorable podcast 11 podcasts from now we'll let you know well, hopefully so. ca- uh, canada opens sometimes yes but the, every week that goes by that 
Hey, opportunity and it's actually more lockdown now than it was i know it's crazy. last month let's pray for our canadian outfitters and uh, wish them the best and we're those here. people up there actually think masks make a difference we're, we're yeah well we're here i said ask where you learn that ready. from this oh, the news media told that oh uh, yeah until next time mask up or don't mask up we don't give a masking care which one you do and fauci and biden are wonderful people so hey um, stay safe, stay healthy, and happy hunting from the Rolling Bones crew in Spearfish, South Dakota.